Good morning. Man, it is so good to be with you. So glad that you are all here. Uh, just love coming together, worshiping one voice, uh, the Lord that we serve. And it's just a wonderful, special experience. And um, if I haven't got to introduce myself or we haven't met yet, my name is Nick Hill, and I get to serve as community pastor here at Solid Rock, and it really is just an honor to be able to be with you to uh, share in God's Word together. Um, we are starting our Advent series today, and it's so fitting that we sang the song, O Holy Night. There is a line in there that says, A weary world rejoices. And if we think about 2020, there's so many things that we can account for weariness, Amen. We are weary in general. We are weary because we have experienced this intense election, polarized political views. We're weary from the, the effects of COVID, the people that we love that have been sick and, and the isolation that has come with that. Um, I'm so grateful for those who are online. They're probably feeling that same isolation as we wait to see how this is going to turn out. We see this weariness when we think about our children and what kind of world they're going to grow up in. Like we just don't know what this world is going to look like in 20 years that our kids are going to grow up into and be a part of. And so there's this weariness that comes with thinking about these things that make us anxious. Maybe personally you feel weariness from personal sin and failure that you've struggled with and you've walked with and, and you're wanting to be free from it, but it just feels like you can't be there, you can't get there. And there's just a weariness from being apart from those that we love. And I know so many have lost loved ones this year. There's just this weariness that we feel and we know. And we're facing that failure, that weariness, uh, hopefully in the light of the gospel. The Advent season is an intentional time where we come together as God people to spend time leading up to Christmas, refocusing our hearts, realigning our hearts with the truth of the meaning of the gospel, to not give in to the things of this world, that we wouldn't be um, have our stories written, our identities shaped by the world and the chaos that we feel around us, but that we would be rested and rooted in the gospel. And so this series that we're starting this year is entitled, A Weary World Rejoices. And again, I say we want our hearts to be on the gospel truths and to be, um, to be focused on Jesus in the midst of our weariness and our desires for us as the church, as, the, as God's people, to be rooted and to be encouraged and to find rest. And specifically today, our sermon is entitled, Rejoice in the Rest Found in Jesus. How do we rejoice as a weary world let us rejoice in the rest that we find in Jesus. And so if you would, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, if you can begin to turn there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there are Bibles underneath the seats all around you. Feel free to use that. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to have that one. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so that is a free gift to you. Please utilize it, take it home, and uh, begin to allow God's Word to soak into your hearts. Um, when we think about weariness, like we, we think about where, where are we going to find rest, right? Where are we going to turn to? So we know the simple answer in the church is we find our rest in Jesus and God's word. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves today, who or what do we turn to to find rest? 
Because in our hearts, we know the right answer to be Jesus, but in our hearts, we often turn to things outside of him to find rest for our weariness. And so I'm going to lay that question before you, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to just, um, as we hear God's word, as we hear the truth of the gospel, to reveal areas in our lives where we turn to something or someone other than Christ to find rest. And one of the things that we think about in our society is we don't really admire rest in one another, do we? We admire what we do. Like when somebody's doing a lot or doing good or accomplishing much, like we're excited to hear about that or see that, right? Or if it's us and we are accomplishing and doing much, like we're excited and we want to share that, even if we are doing a lot to our own detriment. Like if you've ever been around somebody, you're like, yeah, I just put in like 80 hours of work and there's almost like they're excited. Like, man, I worked really hard. That was a lot of work, but they're tired and they're weary. And so we, we often look at what people do as the catalyst to their worth and their identity because you don't look at football players or athletes or other people and go, I really admire your rest. We, we often see it as a negative, right? You're not doing anything. Um, you're not contributing. You're just leeching or mooching when you're resting. And so we normally have this negative connotation of what it looks like to rest or we just don't understand what true rest looks like. And so one of the things I want us to think about is we are great at doing, we are terrible at resting. And this is including us, pastors, like we are terrible at resting. We know the things to do, we know what God wants us to do, but often we don't rest. And I'm grateful to be part of a church of elders and staff who we're constantly reminding ourselves to work hard, be diligent, do the good work, but at the end of the day, rest. Rest in the fact that Jesus is doing what he is doing, and he is the only one who can accomplish that. And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, and the author of Hebrews is doing a few things that I want us to be aware of. One, he is uh, talking to his readers and telling them that Jesus is superior than everything. Everything you've known, he is superior to. So the prophets, the messengers, the angels that you know of in the Old Testament, he goes, Jesus is superior to this. The other part of this is he goes, I want you to run the race, fight the fight, endure with Christ till the very end. I want you to run the race, fight the fight, endure with Christ to the very end. And one of the key things he's telling us is if you're going to do this, if we're going to accomplish this, then we're going to have to rest in a supernatural rest that is not of ourselves, but is rest rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So he's going to be going back and forth in Old Testament scriptures, telling us and um, reliving some of the things that the Israelites went through in their struggles Because very much like Israel, the Jewish believers he's talking to, they start off great, but then it gets hard and they begin to fall away. They begin to become weary. And he's like, okay, if we're going to run this race, if we're going to fight the good fight, and if we're going to finish and finish well, we need to learn where to rest and who to rest in. So let's look in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And it says this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should be seen to have failed to reach it. 
For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united in, by faith with those who listen. Verse 3. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he said, I swore in my wrath that he shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. So what's going on here is he's talking about two camps. Those who believe, those who are united in faith and listen, they get to enter into this rest. Those who have not believed, those who are not united in faith, those who did not listen, they're experiencing God's, <clears throat> excuse me, God's wrath. And so what we need to look at is which camp do we settle in? Which camp are we in? Because he's referring to the people of Israel because God is working in Israel's story taking them out of slavery into the promised land, and he's promising them this rest as if they believe in him, they believe him to be God, and they receive his covenant, they will receive rest. But he said, but those who do not believe, all they receive is the wrath. And so the author is pointing back to Psalms 95, 10 through 11, where the people of Israel have believed or have been disobedient. They haven't believed. They've been unfaithful. In verse 10, it says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. One of the key characteristics that we see in Israel over and over and over again is they tend to look for rest and salvation outside of Jesus, outside of God. They tend to miss it. And God is faithful with them over and over and over again. But when the disobedience continued to occur, they were not able to enter to the promised land. And so there is two camps. Those who believe get to enter into this rest. And those who don't have God's wrath. And so one of the true marks of us who believe in faith and have the gospel, we are able to enter in and have a profound rest that is not found anywhere else in this world. That is a mark of a believer is to find true rest that is supernatural above anything else that we can find in this world that's rooted in the person of Jesus. So to understand God's rest, we're going to follow the author's uh, outline, and he's going to point us back to Old Testament rest that God sets up for us. So verse 4, let's go with this. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Let's skip down to verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, the discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When we hear this passage, we hear Genesis coming out, right? We hear the, the passages of Genesis chapter 2, where God is creating, God is rested. All of this is before the fall of man. And so we see that Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed, and they are in God's rest, they are in God's creation a part of this. And so one of the things I want us to look at is God's design for rest is before the fall. So God's design for rest is not because of the fall or out of necessity of the fall. God's design for rest is purely 
by design. God had in his mind a creation and a rest that he wanted to instill for us to experience the ebbs and flow of working diligently and then pulling back in rest and having communion with him. So this isn't just we don't work hard at all. It's we work hard. We work diligently in the creation that God has created. He's created this natural order that if I work hard, I receive the resources I need to live, again, by God's grace and mercy. But then he had already set up a time for us to be in communion because that's what we were created for. Amen. We were created to be in a relationship with God, to worship him, to glorify him in everything, including our work and including in our rest. So when we think about rest, rest was not given as an antidote to sin or unrest or restlessness. It was by design from the very beginning, from the foundations, as part of God's design. The second part of this is in God's rest is that God's rest is not concerned with our exterior. It's concerned with our interior. As we are reading through Hebrews and it talks about the God's word being sharper than two edged sword. It's piercing to the center of us. It's knowing the intentions of our hearts. It's knowing the intentions and thoughts of our mind. And so God is concerned with the inner man to provide inner peace, a rest for those who are weary. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them, host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we see this overarching theology of rest that God had created it to be the certain way for us to be with him, to be in communion. And because of the fall, we have broken that communion. And we are now not at rest. We were in God's wrath. And we see that image of being naked. No longer are we naked and still in communion with God. Now we are naked and ashamed, having to cover ourselves having experienced God's wrath, having now experienced weariness. And all of our attempts to cover ourselves, all of our attempts to fix that are going to fall short. So God continues to to give us this foreshadowing of what rest is going to look like throughout the Old Testament. So where do we see this next? We see it in Exodus chapter 20. God has pulled Israel out of slavery God has brought them across the Red Sea. Their enemies are defeated. And he begins to give them the Ten Commandments. This is how you and I are going to work together. One, God is to be number one. There shall be no other gods. Amen? Amen. And then the other one was, at the very bottom, keep the Sabbath day and make it holy. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because we tend to forget We tend to stray away from him and who he is and what he has done. And we tend to start looking for our rest in other things. And so he commands us to take this day and make me number one. Make sure you remember what all I have done and all the things that have been provided and resources come from me. So that means all of these ideas of rest, Sabbath rest, are a lower expression, a shadow of the true rest that will come in the person of Jesus. 
So where else do we see this? We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. We're going to start in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Let's skip down to verse 15. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. There's a lot of time that happened between Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy, and God is continually reminding his people their need for Sabbath, their need for rest. And so we have to look at why that is. When Israel was being brought out of Egypt, when the weariness got too much for them, they began to not cry out for God. They began to cry out, just let us go back. Let us go back and die. Or let us go back, at least we know there's food there. Or at least we know there's warmth there by the fire. And so what Israel would begin to do when the weariness became too much, they would deny Jesus, they would deny God as their source of rest, as the one who would be their protector and sustainer. And they would look for the smallest amount of rest they could in a weary situation. It was a terrible situation. It was the same situation they cried out to be rescued from. And they said, just let us go back there. At least we know what we're dealing with. At least we know what to expect. There was some level of rest or comfort knowing how bad it was. How often do we do this, church? Like, how often do we trade God's rest? How, long, how often do we trade what God is offering us for something here tangible of this earth to either distract ourselves or numb ourselves from our weariness. And it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be video games, it could be food, it could be shopping. We all know those, but we also know it could be good things. It could be your relationship with your spouse. That you're putting your so much into this relationship, into your spouse, that they will somehow soothe whatever weariness is going on in your soul. That you want them to be that Savior. You want them to be Jesus for you. Parents, so if you've ever done it with your kids where you just, you're hoping that they'll act a certain way or be a certain way, that if they would just do this, then there would be some soothingness for my weary soul. But God is showing them, and he says, on this day of rest, I am the only source of rest. I am the only source to provide for you. And not only that, you have nothing to do because I've got it covered. Your rescue out of Israel or out of Egypt, that was me. Parting the Red Sea, providing for you, that was me. You have nothing to do but rest. And so when we think about God's rest, he needs to be primary. He needs to be central in all that we do. He needs to be that in our work and in our rest. Because to do it apart from him will never bring True, lasting rest, um, peace, or change. Let's look at Hebrews 4, 6 through 8. Actually, 6 through 10. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, Joshua was the one who led after Moses, the people into the promised land, 
had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. God's work is completed. It's done. There's nothing more for us to do. And he's pointing that people that we see as leaders like Moses or David or even Joshua, they were not the answers. They were just a lesser expression of a rest that was to come. And he's telling us if that rest was true of Joshua, then God wouldn't have said there's one coming. And so we see that Jesus, that God is the superior rest that is coming. And so what is keeping us from finding that rest in Jesus? The primary way is looking outside of Jesus for our rest, good or bad. We can look into our vacations. We can look into um, more money. We can look into a new house, whatever that may be. And you're thinking, man, if we could just get away for a little while, then we'll have some rest. I've shared with you guys before, my wife and I have done that before. We went on vacation. We came back and as soon as we got back, all the weariness that we thought we had gotten rid of, we were just distracted from it. I mean, it came right back as soon as we picked up the kids and we were in the car on the way home. Just right back. And the irony of it is, we joke, is we ended up having another kid because of that vacation. So <laughs> there goes my plans of rest. Looking outside of Jesus is not going to provide that rest. Lack of faith, unbelief, not abiding in God's word, the hardening of our hearts because of sin, sin that we've committed, sins committed against us. You are hopeless. You are dead in your trespasses to deal with sin in your life and the weariness that it causes apart from Christ. And church, hear me out. Apart from Christ, a weary world can do nothing other than consume itself. That is it. Apart from Christ, a weary world can do nothing but consume itself, and we're seeing it firsthand around us. And we're seeing it, we're feeling it, the angst of it, we're seeing it on people's faces, whether people are sharing all that they're carrying or not, we know it's there. God's Word tells us it's there. We know we've experienced it. And God deals with our identity and our worth. The thing that we do so much for to gain our identity and our worth, God has already taken care of that. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, And so, or in such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When God gave us an answer, he doesn't say you get a vacation, you get dental and you get medical and you get a a raise and all these other things. That's not what our need is. Our need isn't for our kids to get their homework done on time or that our kids get into a better school or that we can just have peace or uh, uh, quietness in our house. What he's telling us is the very need, the thing that we have been searching for, but maybe we didn't realize we were looking after was for our identity to be made new again. Because it was broken, it was dirty, we were enemies of God, and so we were made clean. We were washed by what Jesus did on the cross. We were sanctified, means we are no longer enemies of God, now we are the righteousness of God. 
And not only that, we were justified. That wrath that those who are outside of God's rest was going to get, that means they are no longer going to receive that wrath. That God has taken that wrath on through Jesus that we may be justified, free from our sins. So this ultimate inner rest is found in the person of Jesus and because of who he is and what he has done. We see identity is made new in Christ. We are a new creation and we are wrapped and covered in the works of Jesus, not of ourselves. And I don't know where you are at in your story. I don't know if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're in the camp where you can enter into his rest, or if you are in a place right now where you're like, man, I'm experiencing God's wrath. All of it comes down to, is Jesus enough? Can I trust Jesus for my salvation? Can I trust Jesus with my rest? Is he enough? Because if we are looking and we are looking for rest and peace outside of who Jesus is, we are indirectly saying you are not enough. And maybe you consciously know you've been saying, Jesus, you're not enough for a long time. Maybe subconsciously that's where you're at and you haven't taken time to allow the spirit to reveal those areas. But if we're looking outside of Jesus, then we're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. You're not able. We feel like, God, you're unwilling. And so what I want to do as we get close to closing is I just want to read some passages of Scripture. Like, what can tell you who Jesus is and what he's done better than Scripture? I can tell you what I think, but God's word is powerful. It says that God's word cuts and divides through to the intentions and the thoughts of the heart. So let's, let's lean on God's word. Hebrews 4 ends in chapter, Hebrews 4 ends in verse 14, describing to us who Jesus is and what he has done. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is, able, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. He is a high priest. He is Jesus. He is preeminent. He is number one. It's all for him. And yet, he is a high priest who sympathizes with us because he knows what it means to be in a weary world. We've been going through the Gospel of John this year and we have seen the weariness of Jesus' ministry, right? We've seen the plots and the manipulation. He knows that he's going to the cross for us. But where does he find his rest to endure? He finds it resting in the Father. Because he and the Father are one. They're not separate. They're together. And even to the point of physical exhaustion and physical exertion, he still submits, saying, your will be done. That is enduring the race, fighting the good fight in the rest that Jesus provides. It says, well, let us draw with confidence near to the throne of grace. And so not only is God to be preeminent in our rest, We need to know that he is near in all of it. He is not far off. He is not distant. He is not unable to see or hear. It says that he knows and sympathizes our weakness. 
He knows your weariness. Matthew 11, 28, 30 says, Come to me, all who labor or who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that weariness around the world just goes away. It's that we take on what God has already finished in his works and who he is. We don't have to be concerned about anything else. God's saying, I've got this, and you need to learn from me. So this nearness of come to me is there, and even in Psalm 73, 28, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. Being near to God, this is, this is like what we were made for, to be near God, that I have made the Lord my refuge. Why? So that I may tell of his works, so that I may glorify him, so that I may worship him, so that I may rejoice even in the midst of weariness. Because he is my refuge. He is my rest. I have nothing else to do but be in him. So, where do you run when you're weary? Who do you turn to or what do you turn to for rest apart from Christ? May today be the day we lay those things down. We confess them before the Lord. We confess them with each other. The things that we struggle to look at, to run to, to take part in for rest apart from Christ. And it may be because you're afraid of something. Maybe you feel threatened. Maybe you're afraid or feel anxious about the future because you're tired or you're weary. Often they can also be because you're just bored. Because you're not actively walking with Jesus. So here's some things that we can do to begin to rely on Jesus and his rest is we need to stop depending on our own wisdom, our own intelligence, or our own ability to manipulate events to be what we want them to be, and to rely wholly on the Lord. We need to cease from our arrogance to think that we are something that we are not and learn to give God the glory in everything that we do because without him, we can do nothing apart from Christ. And lastly, it is to accept the grace that God has given us. The grace that God has given us so that we may live as holy, sanctified, justified people and his principles only through faith because it is not our works, it is not our righteousness. It is what Jesus has done on the cross that we are able to rejoice in the midst of the weariness. So at this time, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a time of, of singing, of rejoicing. And maybe right now you're in a place where you're like, I don't know if there's something I can rejoice about. Then let's talk. Let's have that conversation. First place we can start is just admitting, man, I'm tired. I am weary. And I cannot do this on my own. We're going to have pastors up front. We would love to talk and pray with you. Maybe for you today is the day that God is calling you to believe in faith and to be able to enter that rest for the first time. And so maybe for you, you don't know what salvation is or maybe you know what it is and you're ready to make that step. 
then we would love for you to do that. You can come up to us afterwards as pastors. There's a next step card in the seat back in front of you. You can say, hey, I want to know what it means to be saved. Or I'm saved, but I haven't walked in obedience. And, it's, and I'm feeling that unrest because of my disobedience. And I need to be baptized. Mark that as well. We want to have that conversation with you. We don't have the answers and we can't give you rest and we can't fix your issues, but we can walk in faithfulness together to divide the burdens, the weariness that we have in this world and take you to the truth of the gospel and have the Lord meet us in that and his faithfulness. And so whatever it is, we've just read how God is a high priest who sympathizes with us. We've already seen that God has had this invitation to come to him with your weariness. And we know we have been designed to be in his presence, to be in his refuge so that we may glorify him. And so when we think about rejoicing, even as a weary world, we can only do that if we are in Christ. And so I'm going to pray, the band's going to lead us, and I pray that you would just be faithful to respond how God is leading and calling you. Father, we come before you. Lord, may we just have a heart of thankfulness right now. Thankful for the fact that, God, you have designed and created rest so that we may have communion with you, that we may be in your presence, that we may be able to worship you the way that you have designed and created us to be. Father, may we reflect you in the hard work that we do, but also, Father, may we reflect you in the rest that we partake in. Lord, you provide that for us today and said in your word, today there is rest. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be faithful to receive that rest, but I also pray that, Lord, in this time we will hope in a complete and perfect rest, Lord, that is coming where all this chaos will go away and we will simply be in your presence. So, Lord, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name.